Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Nashville-based jazz singer Gary Brumberg. We caught up with him about his third solo album, the 2022 CD Full Circle, that pays tribute to New York theater with its bold, innovative reworking of songs from both the Broadway and off-Broadway musical stages. Gary was born in Buffalo and raised in a small suburb of North Tonawanda, New York, and he got his strong singing voice from his mother. He had a two-decade-long Los Angeles film film, TV, and musical theater career, and he's beat cancer twice. His story is one you should hear. Enjoy. Thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate it. Not at all. My pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess before we get into the actual, you know, pursuit and artistic vision of Full Circle, you know, it's coming out now during this pandemic, the global pandemic, we're two years in, hopefully things are going to start getting better. So releasing this right now, how does it feel to actually have the album out right now with the opportunity, hopefully, to perform live? Well, I, I think, like I said, uh, Full Circle is really a labor of love. kind of came to me a couple of years back. Um, I had such a passion. I, I, I had a transition from musical comedy. I performed for about three decades in musical comedy uh, when I moved to jazz. This album, Full Circle, really kind of uh, takes me back and allows me to um, work on stuff that I worked on when I was uh, an actor back in the 80s and the 90s and incorporated into what I do now with jazz. During this time of COVID, you know, there was a lot of self-reflection going on, a lot of looking within. What did you learn about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before that's going to make you stronger as you get out and promote this new album? Well, I, I think the challenge uh, for all of us uh, out here now uh, putting out CDs, everything's changing. You know, uh, the opportunities uh, are less, and we've moved into the Internet, we've moved into Zoom, we've moved into so many different areas. And, and for me, I think the challenge is just keeping up, opening myself up to new avenues, because, um, you know, I'm old school. Uh, as an actor, as a singer... Uh, the way I did things was pretty much set. The internet and everything, and with the pandemic now, we're having to find uh, new ways. As well as me leaving Los Angeles, I lived in Los Angeles for four decades as an actor, as a singer, you know, as an L.A. jazz artist, and all my friends are still there. And I moved out to Nashville in 2018. And I'm just finding myself uh, now more... Uh, you know, resilient, I think, in and opening the doors and meeting people uh, because it's it's a little more difficult. Living just outside of uh, Nashville now, I've uh, fit into uh, a Nashville jazz uh, group here. It's smaller, obviously, than L.A., but uh, I've met uh, Sharon Kay, who is the, uh, there's only one jazz station in Nashville, WFSK. Met her, I've worked for her, I've done fundraisers for her, I've I've sung Christmas shows with her. I also do a, a weekly jazz jam with the uh, Nashville Jazz Jam on Saturdays and, and uh, met all sorts of wonderful musicians and things like that. But I've found uh, that I have to uh, put together my own things now. Uh, the chances of performing in different clubs and things like that are a lot less. So I'm putting together my own shows. And uh, I have a Beatles show. That's called Beatles Jazz, the early years, and, and uh, it's a two-person show, and I performed that, working on another one uh, elsewhere. And um, 
So I think I've just kind of opened myself up. I think the pandemic was a slap in the face to all of us. And uh, we've all hurt, you know, uh, the musicians especially. We just have, like I said, we have to open ourselves up to others and put together our own projects and be a little bit stronger now. So you're originally from, you were born in Buffalo, you're from New York. Talk right. to me a little bit about kind of this love of jazz that you've incubated throughout your life that's come to fruition. And this is your third CD. Um, mm -hmm. But kind of tell me how it all began for you. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, music was a, a part of, of my growing up. My mother, Doris, was a uh, classical singer. She was an organist and a soloist. Uh, wherever she got a job at the church, that's kind of where we, you know, that's where I got my spiritual upbringing. So I've been Methodist, I've been Presbyterian, I've been Baptist, Lutheran, but uh, I grew up uh, surrounded by music. Mom was also a piano and a voice teacher at home, and I'd be upstairs, you know, playing with my toys and hearing voice lessons. I think it kind of kicked in. Uh, I'm the middle of three boys, and I'm the only one who sings. The other two can't carry a tune. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was mother's pet when it came to music anyway, and I kind of followed followed that feeling. But uh, jazz wasn't really a part of, of my life at the beginning, but musical theater, of course, was. And uh, people like uh, Jack Jones, Gordon McRae, uh, the crooners, were very much uh, the voices that I listened to. Uh, as I moved, um, as I grew up, and uh, I uh, taught school at first. I was a school teacher before I left it and decided I wanted to pursue theater. Uh, so I was a musical comedy performer for a long time, as well as an actor, and I did commercials and a little bit of film and TV. But it was one of my last musicals, uh, City of Angels, uh, which has a Cy Coleman school. I was in a production of it in Los Angeles at the Colony Theater. And uh, it's a very intricate score. And I was part of what they called the Angel City Four. And the Angel City Four is more or less a Greek chorus in that show. Uh, it was quite an undertaking, but it, I don't know, it just hit me like a sledgehammer. I just loved it. I think what I loved about it was the fact that, uh, you know, when you sing musical theater, an eighth note is an eighth note, a quarter note is a quarter note, and uh, a half rest, you know, you respect that. In jazz, you know, it just, opens you up to improvisation and freedom. And I've always liked that aspect of jazz. So all of a sudden, my idols kind of changed. They, Jack Jones and Gordon McRae were kind of replaced by Chet Baker and um, Kurt Elling and Nat King Cole and especially Mel Tormain. I love, I love the crooners. So um, that's kind of how jazz kind of came into my life, very late. Uh, I didn't really start performing jazz uh, until uh, right after the millennium. Uh, but um, I, I certainly had a, a wealth of experience uh, going into that, uh, into jazz. And um, I never looked back. But what I like to do is I like to take Broadway songs and jazz them up. And that's what Full Circle is all about. You know, it's interesting. If there's ever anything that's so indicative about people that get into jazz, it always happens late in life. I mean, there's exceptions to the rule but overwhelmingly sure. it's usually late so you know the one thing that that you've talked about is live performance and there's nothing i think we've learned over this pandemic that 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 communal environment of humans being together is so vital so 
if you go back in your life and think about the very first jazz show you saw that really inspired you and made you think, wow, I'd love to do that, what was it? Ah, great question. It's after I moved to L.A., I was still performing theater. Um, I went to the Hollywood Bowl one night. There was a tribute to Billie Holiday. I think it was 1979. It was a tribute to Billie Holiday, and um, on the bill was Nina Simone, Carmen McRae, Morgana King, Esther Phillips, and Maxine Weldon in one wow. evening. Wow. One evening. I was just blown away. And, and if I ever think of a concert, um, I think of that. I saw Ella also at the uh, Hollywood Bowl. However, it was in her, uh, when she was extremely ill. It was towards the end of her career. And I wish I'd seen her at her prime. Uh, it, was, it was kind of difficult to, to see her at that point. She was in, you know, in a wheelchair at that point. Uh, but you still caught, you still caught the beauty of, of her talent and her voice and everything like that. I mean, that didn't, that didn't go away. It's just, uh, it just made me wish that I'd, I'd listened to her you know, in her prime. But like I said, I really wasn't exposed that much uh, to jazz uh, then. Everything, so much of it was just musical theater, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, Ella is pretty famous for having such a long and storied run at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, right, right. You know, um, so, you know, have you always felt acting and singing and being in front of either a camera or an audience is a natural mm -hmm. thing for you? Were you ever nervous? How do you approach all of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, as an actor, um, I started having not stage fright, but I started having trouble memorizing lines quickly. It kind of uh, took the passion away from acting. And I stopped performing for several years. And, uh, then a friend of mine told me about a jazz class, uh, Ellen Johnson, who uh, Sheila Jordan is her mentor and, and dear friend. And uh, I decided to go to that class. And uh, it just kind of reawakened everything. All of a sudden, uh, I started avoiding the idea of, uh, of stage fright and going at my own pace, of course, too. But, you know, I, I think nerves are, are just a part of it. I, I just think it's always there. I think the passion of singing uh, overrides it eventually. I think it has to because uh, very few people I know uh, don't have those kind of um, problems. But... Um, once you get on stage, I've always said, you kind of, you know, and feel the audience, you kind of turn from chicken to ham. <laughs> so, you know, the other thing that's very key about your life is that you're a two-time cancer survivor. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. with, yeah. the, with, with the way that all of us have been kind of under a microscope with COVID and George Floyd situations, and right now we have, you know, things brimming with Russia, you know, yeah. how, how, does, how do you put things into perspective when you survive cancer? How do you approach the microphone differently and life differently? Huh. I would, I would say, especially because my cancer had to deal with neck and uh, throat. For a, a while, for several years, I really couldn't sing. I had no voice. Uh, I first developed uh, tonsil cancer in 2012. And then, then it, uh, after I went into remission in 2015, I was diagnosed with lymph node cancer on the other side of my neck. And I thought this, this may be it. So uh, I wasn't able to sing. It was in between my first and second CDs. 
uh, my first CD, Up Jump Spring, was back in 2007. And so I just, I had to stop singing for, for oh, geez, two or three years. You know, I, I, I spent all that time listening to other people to keep my passion going. Because I didn't know if I would ever sing again. I just didn't know if it, it would come back. And I still have problems. I have severe side effects still. I have extreme dry mouth. It's a, it can be difficult for me to perform. I use coconut oil in order to perform sometimes just to keep my mouth uh, moist and dry, especially under hot lights. I think what it gave me going through this was a new perspective, not just on life, but just on finding things to do when you can't always do what you want to do. I mean, like I said, for years I couldn't sing. And uh, so what I did was I learned songs. I learned new songs. And I listened to a lot of artists and uh, just uh, kept that wanting to move on and, and wanting to get better on and just approaching life in that way. And now being back on stage, I think I value uh, the opportunities uh, to sing out loud and having people compliment my voices and to go back into the studio and perform again. This is, it's a modern miracle for me. I don't know how my, because I have problems eating, I can't even uh, eat solid foods anymore. I, I'm reduced to in, drinking Ensure drinks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner to keep up my weight uh, or very soft foods I can have. Uh, but my voice came back completely. Not, not like it's, it's halfway there. I mean, as I advance in age, you know, I notice a change in my voice. I notice it between the second and third CDs, uh, between Moonlight and Full Circle. I notice a, a slight change in my voice. But it's there. It's there. And it was important for me to, to put out Full Circle for that reason, uh, just because my voice is still there. And I wanted it there while I still felt inside that my voice was strong enough to to. Uh, to do it. So I went right back to the studio. I got my producer, Barbara Brighton, who I adore and uh, led me to, to this point. I feel very confident with her. And being a musical theater person, I wanted to make sure that Full Circle uh, was a jazz CD and I didn't come off musical theater, you know, because I'm singing Broadway songs. So I, I think, you know, the cancer opened my eyes in, in so many ways, but I, I'm it's also a lot of luck that I'm back on stage singing and, and, and uh, performing and, and going into the studio. And it, to me, it sounds miraculous and triumphant. I mean, I mean, coming from that world of acting, it seems like you've already woven together a script that's uh, very alluring about how this CD came about and how your careers come about. That's, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, it really is. It, it's, it's what I needed to do to, like I said, to come full circle, taking the old me and blending it with the new me. Uh, you know, if this ended up being my last CD, it uh, would be fine for me. I, I feel like I've really accomplished something in letting everybody really know what my life has been about and how I came upon jazz. So, you know, going from L.A. to a completely different situation mm -hmm. in, in Nashville and having this jazz career and hopefully coming out of COVID, does it almost seem like a Phoenix rebirth? Does it almost seem like kind of coming out of ashes? I can't say that I felt that yet. It's, uh, I've, I've been here maybe two or three years. So um, 
uh, it's still uh, an adjustment for me in in so many ways. There have been uh, uh, some family issues that have come up, some health issues that have come up. Um, and, um, you know, I don't find the opportunities as uh, frequent uh, in Nashville, which, again, is another reason why I wanted to put, to get, uh, put together Full Circle. Um, I'm getting to perform this. As I'm putting a, a CD release party out there with the Nashville Jazz Workshop. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Lori Meacham and Roger Spencer uh, headed up. And uh, they've been around for a long time. And they're, they're really the uh, fulcrum of, uh, of Nashville jazz. So I'm getting to perform there for the first time, at my own release party. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that on, on the, the 26th. And I'm doing a live stream as well, so that my LA people uh, can, uh, can be a part of uh, that evening. You know, the other part of this that I'm curious, you know, I always ask, what show would people like to get into a jazz DeLorean and go back in time to see? But the show you described is probably, I don't know that it can get any better than that. So my question to you is, yeah, my question to you is, mm -hmm. if you could see anybody that's out there right now that's a singer or a performer in jazz that you would love to catch live, who would you like to see? Those that are out there now, boy, I've been pretty lucky. I've seen some. Gregory Porter is one I have not seen live yet, and I just love his work. I just love his work. I've seen Kurt Elling. I, I attended master classes with Mark Murphy. Sheila Jordan, of course, I've heard, but I've not. Uh, Gregory P Porter is one that I've missed uh, so far. And there's not a lot of jazz artists that come out to uh, Nashville. You know, if I was still in L.A., I'd have no problem because uh, Catalina Bar and Grill, I used to see everybody. I'd perform there and would see everybody who came into town, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a different world out here in Nashville, you know. It's mainly country. It's mainly uh, rock. I, I kind of call jazz the uh, the uh, the tennis of uh, music. It's it's varied. It's not as popular, and it's harder to get work, obviously. Uh, but it's so classy, <laughs> like tennis. I find yeah. that's the gentleman's sport, and that's what I find jazz. You have maintained a, a very long career in in acting, and now in singing. What's been the key to the longevity for you? Waking up every day and looking forward to what you're doing. What, what's been the motivator for you? Well, I, I just think my, um, my entire life is, you know, from the beginning with my mother teaching, music has been such a, a passion in my life. And yes, I've had other jobs uh, to sustain my career uh, when times were low. You know, I slung hash. <laughs> And uh, I worked for the County of Los Angeles for a time. But music has always, always been the center of my life. And if I wasn't, uh, you know, if I wasn't singing, I really not, I don't really know what else I would do. Uh, other than I do write for a movie magazine. Uh, as an actor, I, I had such a deep appreciation for actors and actresses and especially of, uh, of films of the golden age. And so I um, actually have written for classic images and films of the golden age. And I interview actors and actresses who are now in their 80s and 90s, like uh, Kay Ballard, Cynthia uh, Pepper, Billy Gray from Father Knows Best. I've interviewed them all for this magazine. So I have found that sideline. But I do that. Um, that's a labor of love because I don't get paid for it.
Yeah, I understand <laughs> that for sure. Believe me. You know, the thing about the world, hopefully, as we wake up, is that hopefully, and we've been away from live music for almost two years. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what do you, we all realize about the power of live music from both the performer perspective and the audience? Well, first, I, I, I want people, uh, we need people back. We need, to, we need to get people back into the clubs, into the concerts and everything. I think it's slowly happening again. I also feel that music is universal in these times of, of war and tragedy. I, I, I've always felt that music is the universal healer. It's, it's the one language that all of us can be drawn to and to be drawn to together. I, I just would love to see everybody, well, with the Broadway scene, it's happening with the Broadway scene, is everybody come back and, and um, sponsor them and get involved and make sure we don't lose that. I would love to see this back in our schools. You know, as, as a kid, we just took this for granted. I had my music class and then I moved to take an art class and, and gym and physical ed. And, and um, I was exposed to all of that. I went to the Buffalo Symphony, the Philharmonic, when I was um, eight years old. And, and that, listening to Peter and the Wolf uh, by Prokofiev. And it was like, you know, and, and now these children don't have that um, experience now. They're lucky that uh, they even get to their classes. Uh, I, I hope that we can get our children more involved with music again and expose them to all sorts of music, not just pop and stuff, but to jazz and just have everybody get back together again. So everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. You have a perception of yourself. Who do you think you are? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a mess of contradictions, I can tell you that right now. I'll tell you, I, I grew up very insecure and uh, very shy, very introverted. In grade school, I, I was selected for the lead in, in plays and in, in concerts and music. And that brought me out of my shell. And, uh, but I still fight that. I still fight that, that, that kind of uh, insecurity. And uh, I, I don't have the insecurity about, am I good enough? Or am I better than this person? Although I must must tell you, when I listen to a Gregory Porter album, I go back and listen to myself and just out of that insert and go, well, okay, I'm good too. So I think, uh, you know, I've been intimidated by the best, uh, Tierney Sutton and Kurt Elling. And, uh, but, uh, uh, but I think it also drives me to be, a, uh, to be a better person. But I must admit that, uh, you know, um, those insecurities, and I think maybe part of that is why I became an actor. It brought out the best in me. It brought out the, the strength in me uh, as a person. I'm extremely caring and kind about other people, and uh, I love putting them, I tend to put them in front of me. You know, I, I tend to be more concerned uh, with, with them or not. I love doing duets on stage. In fact, uh, when I do the show on the 26th, I have a, a vocalist uh, uh, a guest vocalist, Crystal Miller, who will be singing with me. Because I love to share the stage with people. I love to share it with musicians. And I love giving musicians more solos than maybe most uh, uh, singers uh, want to in jazz. You know, I, uh, Why Should I Wake Up, uh, one of the songs from the show, uh, has, a, has a lengthy um, uh, instrumental. Because I love hearing my musicians play and, and for them to do their things. 
And you're only good as the people that you work with. And I have some dynamite people uh, on uh, Full Circle. You know, I have um, Jameson Trotter has just put together, his, his father is Terry Trotter, the, the uh, pianist. And Jameson has put together uh, these arrangements. He knew nothing about Broadway, nothing. And um, had to listen to the, you know, the soundtracks, uh, or not the soundtracks, but the, uh, the original Broadway shows and had to listen to them and then uh, uh, make them jazz pieces. We had um, reflections of, of uh, uh, Bird and reflections of John Coltrane and Miles Davis. You can hear them in several of these songs that I, uh, that I put together. I know Happy Talk has a definite bebop feel of uh, Charlie Parker. And I know um, you've got to be taught. Uh, we put in um, trombone for that. I was trying to think of um, Bob McChesney. I was thinking of Bob McChesney. Had, oh, Sorry Grateful, uh, Stephen Sondheim's uh, song from Company. Uh, I just heard a lick from a John Coltrane tune and went, uh, had uh, Jameson listen to it, and uh, he ran with it. And it's just beautiful. I just love it. Did I get off track here? <laughs> no, you're fine. That, okay. You know, if Sometimes I'm, I if forget I'm, the original question, and I can walk no, into a tangent. No, you're good. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna ask an open-ended question, it's totally fair for an <laughs> open-ended answer. <laughs> for okay. sure. No, but that was really the, my my final question. I really appreciate mm -hmm. your time and candor, opening up about your career. Good luck with the album, and hopefully the world opens up here in 2022. Oh, let's hope so. You know, I, I really miss. Uh, you really have taken for granted, you know, just to set up concerts. And I have to drum real hard to get people to come and, and see me, you know, because people are afraid to come out. Yeah. So I, I hope, uh, you know, I, I hope people will come out to the Nashville Jazz Workshop to catch my uh, uh, CD uh, release party on the 26th. And uh, it's also live stream. So anybody can go on and, and uh, listen to it live stream up to a week later. So I really like your questions, by the way. You really had me thinking here thanks for listening and tuning in to another neon jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers and players in nashville los angeles kansas city and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz thanks to gary for his time honesty and cool if you want to hear more interviews go to famous interviews with joe Davino in the itunes store visit neon jazz at youtube.com and for everything neon jazz all the time go to the neon until next time Enjoy the jazz, my friends. Deep inside me, says it can be so. So let's make a celebration. Feel that love grow, feel that love grow. Neon Jazz.